Father, we want to thank you for uh, this place, like Will said earlier, dry and warm. And we thank you for the opportunity to sit under your word. We pray, Lord, even if there are some that are making their way here now, that you'd watch over them. Lord, those that we know a lot of folks are struggling with sickness, Lord, that you would uh, come alongside of them and, and bless them even where they are now watching. But Lord, we want to hear from you. And so we've come, we've placed ourselves under your word. Lord, you know our hard attitude sometimes is uh, to resist in some ways, but we want to be receptive. And we pray that you would minister your truth in, in such a way to our hearts that, Lord, uh, I think of Peter, who, where else are we going to go? Uh, Lord, we need to receive it. And so bless your word. This morning we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Titus chapter 2 uh, I'll remind you, the book of Titus, I'll remind you, is that one of those pastoral epistles. There's three of them, uh, the two that were written to Timothy, and then this third one that was written to Titus, two men that were going to begin ministering in a new church, if you will, uh, or in their cases, to a series of churches in a new community. For Timothy, that was the, the big city of Ephesus. For Titus, it was the pretty large island there of Crete. And as we've been looking, Crete had quite the reputation, uh, we learned. Uh, the word became synonymous with being a liar and a cheater. cheater. And so again, we have that phrase, like, why, why are you Cretanizing? Are you trying to Cretanize a Cretan? You know, those kinds of phrases that were there, that was for liars and cheaters and deceivers. And that was what the culture became known for. Even one of their own, we saw in chapter 1, verse 12, one of their own, a prophets of their own, said... Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And this is one of the guys that was a Cretan uh, is saying that thing there. And so it, it was certainly a difficult place where Titus was going to minister because that thinking just became part of the culture and it worked its way into the lives of the people. And so they brought that with them into their church settings. And sadly, what we saw happening is something we see happen a lot the culture was influencing the church instead of the way it's supposed to be, the church influencing the culture. And so working its way into the, these churches were things like lying and cheating and trying to get ahead and being more concerned with self than somebody else and so on. And Paul, he begins by establishing one of the first things that Titus, Titus needed to do was to establish godly leadership in every town, in every one of those churches that were there, so that they could deal with these problems. The wrong people, if you will, were in leadership of those places. And we saw that there were some false teachers that were in some of those places. And so Paul says they're going to have to be dealt with, but at the same time, you're going to need to appoint godly leaders. And I found, again, we've said this, and it's a review to some degree, but Paul doesn't say, find the smartest men you can to lead. He doesn't say, find the most accomplished men that you can to lead. He says, find the godliest men you can to lead these congregations. And these are going to be men who love the Lord, serve the Lord, submitted themselves to the Lord, not because they were leaders, but because they were followers of Christ. And they've done that over a long period of time, and they've established now that they can be leaders because they just naturally do that. They love the Lord, and they go where he directs them. And so Paul says, establish godly leaders. Now, the next thing Titus is going to have to address are those false teachers that I've mentioned to you. And Paul, he says in verse 10, he describes them. They're not godly. He says, rather, they are insubordinate. 
empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of that circumcision party. He goes on and he says that they're upsetting entire families with their false teaching. And then he tells us their motivation, you can see there, is that they do it for shameful gain. And so Paul's response to them and his directions to Titus is they have to be silenced. You can't give them a platform. You, let, you can't let them continue to lead people astray with their teaching because they're hurting people with their false teaching. People are becoming confused as to what it is that the gospel actually teaches. And it's impacting their lives. And so he says they need to be stopped. He said in verse 13 of chapter 1 that Paul, or Titus was to rebuke them sharply, which again is a word which means, or a phrase which means, disprove their teaching. Convince them and others that their teaching is wrong by teaching what is right. So that's all to the leaders of the congregation Titus is going to have to address. Now as we come to chapter 2, Paul is going to shift and 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 I don't want to use this in a disparaging way, but he's going to address the rank and file, the congregation as a whole. So he was addressing who the leaders need to be, what type of people they needed to be and shouldn't be. And now he's going to turn his attention to the different people in the congregation, the men and women that make up the congregation he's going to address. He did the same thing with Timothy in 1 Timothy. We saw that when he addressed each different demographic group with kind of different instructions. And he's going to do that here. So in chapter 2, you'll notice in verse 2, he's going to address the older men. In verse 3, the older women. In verse 4 and 5, the younger women. Verse 6, the younger men. And then toward the end of the chapter, he's going to address slaves or bond servants, which was certainly uh, significant and uh, widespread in that day and in that age. Different groups of people. And he's going to address each one of them differently. They're at different stages of life. They're going to have different needs. They're going to have different responsibilities. And thus, Titus is going to have to address them and work with them in a different manner. First thing I see about this is this. It's not just the leaders of a congregation that have responsibilities in a congregation. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't, or well, Paul and Titus, they wouldn't address everybody else. Just deal with the leadership, as long as they got it going on, then that's fine. Paul's going to address every single person that takes a seat in that congregation or in that church. Because every single person in that body of believers has a responsibility in that church. And so Paul's going to address that. He's going to tell Titus to address that. In the book of Ephesians, he uses the phrase, to some degree, each part doing their part. We're a body of believers. That's what he likens it to. And the foot's important because it does its thing, and the hand does its thing, and the ear, and the tongue, and the mouth, and so on and so forth. Each part doing its part. And so Paul instructs Titus how he is to interact with each of these parts and what their responsibility is going to be to one another. And we'll develop that as we go a little further. So let's read some of the opening verses. We'll start in, obviously, verse 1. It says, But as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive 
to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Now, we're not going to address all five of those groups, the older men, older women, younger men, younger women, and bond servants. We're not going to address all five of them today. We'll do a portion of them today, and we'll pick up with the rest when we come back the, uh, next time we're together. I think sometimes when we read our Bibles with the modern insertions of chapters and verses, which were not in the original, they were added later on, but I think sometimes when we read our Bibles and we stop at one chapter and start up with the next one, we forget sort of the context of things. And so it's very important for us to remind ourselves as we begin chapter 2, where do we leave off at the end of chapter 1? Notice how Paul begins chapter 2. He begins with the words, but as for you. And so you should read that and ask yourself, well, in contrast to whom? And in contrast to whom is who he was just recently talking about in chapter 1, and that was those false teachers. He says, but as for you, he said, those guys, they were liars. They were evil beasts. They were lazy gluttons. He says, those guys, they taught what they taught. They served in the way that they served for shameful gain. He said, those guys, they needed to be silenced because they were teaching, as I said earlier, a distorted doctrine. But as for you, Titus, you are to teach what accords with sound doctrine. But as for you, Titus, I know you're not a liar, a cheater, and a deceiver. As for you, Titus, you don't need to be silenced. You actually need to say something. You need to teach what accords with sound doctrine. And we addressed this when we were in 1 Timothy. The word sound, it means healthy. All right? it, it's actually the Greek word is where we get our English word hygiene. And so it talks about good, healthy uh, physical practices and the like. And so sound doctrine, we could say, would be healthy doctrine. Titus needed to teach healthy doctrine in those churches because the people were spiritually sick in those churches. They were constantly touching all the germs, like everyone in our society seems to be right now, they're constantly touching all these germs and getting sick. As they were sitting there, the false doctrine was coming, whether it was from a pulpit situation or in some small home study, and the people were getting spiritually sick. And Titus's job was to come in, appoint sound leaders in those congregations that could teach and insist upon sound doctrine being taught to the people so that the people could be healthy. That's Paul's desire, is that the congregation, congregations would grow healthy and strong and they can thrive as God intended them to do. And so he begins, he says, but as for you, Titus, teach uh, what accords with sound doctrine. Now, what I find interesting as we make our way, and we read it together, as you continue to go on, Paul doesn't begin to give examples of sound doctrine. You, I would expect him to. Teach what accords with sound doctrine, uh, Timothy. Teach about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Timothy, teach about the deity of Jesus Christ. Teach about salvation by grace, not through works, 
uh, but through by faith in Christ alone. Teach about the Trinity, Timothy. You would expect that he would like nail down, these are the sound doctrines I want you to be focusing on. Or maybe even some secondary doctrines like the end of the world and the tribulation and rapture and the spiritual gifts and those kinds of things. But he doesn't really do that. And I think he doesn't do that is because he knows Timothy knows those things already. He knows who Timothy is. But what he does do, he says, teach what accords with sound doctrine. We could word that, teach what follows after sound doctrine. And then it's all behavioral, everything that's going to come after that. It's all character that comes after this. Because these false teachers, they were saying that they knew God, but their lives were being lived in such a way that demonstrated, you don't know God. Because they were teaching, it's okay to believe one thing, but to do another thing. And Paul is saying, no, not the case at all. Teach what accords with sound doctrine. The person's life should match up with their words, if you will, what it is that they're saying about who they are. You remember in Jesus' great commission, as he's gathering with his disciples, sort of that last time he's about to be taken up into heaven in what we call the ascension, and he said to them, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, teaching them to live in such a way. And all things that I have commanded you, behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Good, solid teaching is meant to produce good, solid living. And these false teachers forgot that. We're ignoring that, didn't want to pay attention to that, and it would be Titus's job to make sure that the congregation understood that. And so Paul's instruction to him is that the understanding of the word, that it would be translated into daily practice there in the island. And Titus's job is to make sure that that was happening. The Bible does a lot of different things. Big book, accomplishes a lot of purposes. But one of the main things that it does is it tells us how we are to live our lives in response to the work that God is doing in us. And so if we say we believe the Bible to be true, and then we ignore how it tells us to live, then our practice has revealed what we truly believe. Would you agree with that? Again, remember the context. Chapter uh, 1, verse 16. False teachers profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. The Bible never separates doctrine from living. One of the most definitive books of Christian doctrine, it's been called, is the book of Romans. It's a wonderful book. I, I think that's where we're going to go at some point in time. Jim and I were talking, where are you going to go after the other five books you want to do first? And I said, I don't know. And I think eventually it might be Romans, Jim. Um, but nonetheless, it's been called the most definitive book of Christian doctrine ever written. First 12 chapters, but every doctrine you want to know about is found in those opening chapters. Then Paul comes to chapter 12. And it begins, I think it begins even with the word therefore. So based on all that information you've learned, all of this definitive, defines the faith doctrine that is out there, Paul says in chapter 12, verse 1, therefore present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Therefore walk it out. Live it. And so we can't separate the one from the other. The one, our belief, must impact our lives. And so Paul's going to begin telling Titus the types of things he should be teaching, as you see in verse 2, the older men of the congregation. And we got a few here. I'm looking at a few of you right now. 
the older men of the congregation. Now, you say, I'm not an older man of the congregation. Ask somebody else. All right? That's what I would say. But you say, I'm not an older man of the congregation. It, well, one day, we hope you will be. Right? We hope you make it to that particular point in time. And so this is, these are scriptures. Even if you think, like, I'm not an older man. I'm not an older woman. It doesn't apply to me. I'll run out to the bathroom now or whatever. Don't. This is where you take some time. You consider all right, so if these are character traits of these godly individuals, well, then that's what I want to aspire to. And that's what I want to acquire in my own life. And so he says, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, sound in love, and sound in steadfastness, is how it's actually worded there in the original. And so, sadly, I think we live in a culture that increasingly discounts the important place that older men and women are to play in a society. Would you agree? Yeah, some of you vigorously. Um, apparently, so the older people, I agree! <laughs> you know. But I, I do. I think we, we look at the older and we're like, ah, you know what, your day's done, buddy. And we focus our attention in on the young and the hip and the cool. <laughs> Whatever it might be. The bi yeah, <laughs> that's terrible. <laughs> he said, ask somebody else. Um, that's funny. The Bible does not approach our interactions between age demographics in that way. And so it doesn't look like old people aren't supposed to look down at the young and say, oh, no, nothing. And young people aren't supposed to look down, if you will, at the old and say, ah, oh, your day is past or whatever. The Bible sees the value in every single stage of life, and every demographic group that could make up a body of believers, the body sees the value of each one of those demographic groups and the vital role that they're supposed to play in the lives of one another to create a healthy spiritual community. Now, is there a place for all the retired folks to get together from church and hang out? I think there may be a place. I mean, where else are you going to get a good recommendation for a doctor? but from that retired group of people that are gathered there. But I think there's a purpose and a benefit from the folks that are in a similar life circumstance to gather together, and they kind of already can relate. Is there a place for the young adults to separately gather together? I think there is, and I think there's some value in it. But be very careful that you don't exclude gathering together with and sharing together with folks that are from the different stages and walks of life. I think you do that... I think it's, it's hurting you more than anything if you ignore folks from other stages of life here. I think one of the best things that you can do for your spiritual walk is to find someone that is in a different stage of life from you and begin to do life with them. And you can learn from them and the value of being in relationship with someone that is from a slightly different situation than you find yourself in. And so with that, Paul's going to address each of these groups. And again, as we said, he addresses the older men. And he's going to talk about six things that the older men are to look to become in their lives. Very important that we understand, you don't automatically become these things because you're getting older. All right? These are things that you need to become. These are things that you would look at your life and you would say, you know what? He's talking about being sober-minded, dignified, and self-controlled Am I? Well, I'm pretty good at it. I'm a 7 out of 10. Well, you should strive to be a 10 out of 10 in that particular area there. So you, you use this. You take inventory of your life. You see how these character traits are developing in your life. And if you fall short in a particular area, you go to the Lord and you say, Lord, this is an area that I want you to create in me. And he's very faithful and he's very kind. 
and he'll begin to reveal, here's a great opportunity for you to exercise self-control, Jim, or like calling out things like, for instance, or something like that. He says, the first character trait is sober-minded. Now, we see sober-minded, and we, we oftentimes think of, you know, don't get drunk or something like that. You should be sober. Uh, and th there's a reason why we use the word sober to describe somebody that's not filled with intoxicants and, and the like here. But that, that's not really what the word meant in this context here. What the word meant in this particular context, it was to describe a person that was clear-headed. And you know, hopefully just by reading about it, you haven't gotten involved in it, but you know that if you drink too much of a, an intoxicant, you're no longer clear-headed. It's a word which means to be in full possession of your faculties, your thoughts, your words, your actions. This is the type of person that, has a, that is thoughtful, and they live their life in response to those thoughts. So they don't just jump in and they do things, but they stop, they think something through, and then they move forward after having done so. So they're not impulsive. They don't just act. This is why 20-year-old boys, mostly, are still jumping off of houses to see what will happen. Well, the 50-year-old guy's like, I ain't jumping off of that thing. I will slowly climb down a ladder. All right, because they think through and they know what's going to happen here. So Paul says, first off, that the older men of the congregation should be sober-minded. They should take their time with things. They should think through things and respond accordingly. The second term that he uses is the word dignified. Now, maybe your version uses the word grave. And so you have the idea of being serious. This is a serious individual. That doesn't mean they don't ever laugh. They don't ever tell a joke. They don't ever see something and chuckle at it here. But what it means is they've learned that the things of life that really matter and how to approach those things. That is a serious individual or a dignified individual. And because they have, they've come to be highly respected and honored by others in society. Does that make sense? They are dignified. We go, okay, we're going to, all right, good. It's all right. So dignified. They've learned the seriousness of life and, and things. They stop, and because of that, they're highly respected. They're not necessarily dignified because they're older. Again, we come back to that. They're not to be honored necessarily because they're older. They're respected and they're honored in their many, because in their many years they've learned wisdom and how to apply it to life. And people can look at it and you're like, you know what, that guy knows. And so second, he talks about being dignified. Third, he uses the word self-controlled. Other versions use the word temperate. By the time a person of faith becomes an older person of faith, he says here that they are to have learned how to say no to their impulses. We, we don't always know that when we're younger. We just give in to this and give in to that. It doesn't have to be a bad thing necessarily, but we have a desire for it and we go in that. But the older person has learned to use, if God is working in their lives, they've learned to use discernment. They've learned to use discretion. They've learned to use good judgment. They've learned what to get involved in and others are involved in and they are with them and they've learned what to keep out of even if it's not a bad thing necessarily. They've learned not to just say whatever comes to their mind. 
they have learned self-control. They don't just do what their initial impulse tells them to do. Now, in the Bible, in Galatians, we learn that, that self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Right? You know Galatians chapter 5, it says the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against, against such things there is no law. And so since self-control is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, what that tells us is these older people in the faith, these older men in the faith, they have learned to be in tune with the Holy Spirit and to respond to what the Holy Spirit is telling them. Go over here and do this. Don't go over there and do this. Go over here and say this. Don't go over there and say that. They've learned to be in tune with the Holy Spirit, and he is creating in them and has created in them the character of self-control. So older men are to be serious-minded, dignified, and self-controlled. Next he goes on, he says they are to be sound in the faith. And again, the way this is worded, sound goes with the three terms that follow. So sound in the faith, sound in love, sound in steadfastness. We've already talked about the word sound. It means healthy. Again, it comes from that word hygiene. So they are to have a healthy faith, healthy love, and healthy steadfastness or perseverance or endurance is the word that is used there. Sound in faith, I think that describes the personal relationship this fellow has with the Lord. It speaks to the trust that they have in God and in his word. Over time, these folks, because they have exercised their faith, they've grown in their faith. They've learned over time that though life isn't perfect, that God is and that they can trust him. And because they continue to exercise that faith over a lifetime, even when life wasn't perfect, they've grown stronger and stronger and stronger, and they have become a person that is sound in faith. Paul says, sound in love, healthy in love. This you might look at and say, well, this describes his relationship with others that are around them. Certainly his love for God, but his love for others. Sadly, as many men grow older, they grow cranky. And grumpy, I saw yesterday on TV, Grumpy Old Men, remember that movie? It was on there. And you didn't have to explain it, like, what do you mean grumpy old men? I've never heard of an old man. Because a lot of men get grumpy when they get older. Paul tells Titus, teach the old men to be growing more loving as they get older, not more cranky. And of course, as I just read, love is a fruit of the Spirit. And so as God's Holy Spirit is working on that person over a lifetime, and as they're learning to respond to him, they become a man who is marked by love. When the temptation, old guys, when the temptation comes to say, you're not on my day, and judge kind of other people because they're all doing it wrong, don't do it. Swallow it and just say, Lord, help me love this guy, this young man, and so on, or young lady. They grow more loving. Finally, Paul says, Sound in steadfastness. And again, that word is, I think some versions translated as perseverance or patience. And this is more than just sitting around and not complaining. Well, you know, I wanted to say something, but I didn't. I was self-controlled and pat yourself on the back here. Yeah, but it's a hard attitude as well that goes beyond just not doing something. It's a hard attitude that goes a little bit further here. Uh, and it carries with it the idea of bearing the weight and still moving forward. That's the idea of perseverance here. Growing older brings with it challenges that may not be ours when we are younger. Right, older people? Yes, we know that to be the case. But the person that is sound in steadfastness 
is the one that has learned to endure those trials without losing heart, without losing courage, without losing faith. And they can continue to move through them. So yeah, we know that life can be difficult, and it often is. We know that people can be hard to deal with sometimes in our lives. And trusting God can sometimes be wearisome. We just want to intervene and do it our way. We know that to be the case. But the man that is sound in perseverance has learned not to lose heart when things don't turn out the way they want them to. And they've learned the truth of the scripture that is written in Romans chapter 8. It says, and we know this, that those who love the Lord, all things work together for good to those who are called according to God's purpose. And so even as an older person where things may not be working out the way they, we want them to work out, we know that God is working all these things according to his purpose. We know that my heart attitude can remain right in this circumstance, even if the circumstances seem wrong that are around me. The older godly man has learned that valuable lesson. And so they can, they can be, I use this, steady Freddy. They can just sort of keep on going through life. They don't have the highs. They don't have the lows. They can just keep on going through knowing that the Lord is with them in the midst of that, and they're going to honor him in the midst of that. I'll remind you, these traits don't just happen because we get older. If they did, Paul wouldn't tell Titus to teach them to these men. These are things that the people need to grow and learn and develop in here. So older men, and I'll let you in the room decide who you are. I won't stop my eyes at any of you here. Older men, take inventory. How are you doing in these areas? Are you growing in them? Are you becoming more like God, godly, in these particular areas? Sober-mindedness, uh, dignity, if you will, self-control, sound in the faith and love and in steadfastness. Well, you want to be. And so take some time, pray about it. Even if it's one area where the Lord says you can grow in that, start growing in that. Let the Lord do a work in your life here. Now, before I move on, how awesome that this island that was known for being liars and cheaters and deceivers and ripping people off and all that, how often that there were godly men on that island that could grow in being sound in the faith, sound in love, sound in steadfastness, dignified, self-controlled. God can do a changing work in all of our lives and in our culture, and it's such a good, sweet thing. Amen? Well, there's more groups. Paul goes on to the older women. And I've created a list here of all the older women of our church. And so I thought I would read it out. I thought that would be a good decision. I, I did note the first lesson that we take here. Paul doesn't call them old women. He just says they're older women. So that's the first lesson, men. Don't call anybody old. Uh, ladies in particular, call them older. Anyway, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love. And it goes on from there, and we'll talk about that as we get a little further. So he says older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior. So notice likewise brings you back to what came before it, right? like therefore would, for instance. Likewise does as well, and so it goes back to the older men. And so he had told the older men, about things like being self-controlled and sound-mindedness and so on and so forth. Here, he says, likewise, the women are to be like that. The phrase that he uses to describe it is reverent in their behavior. So women are to be self-controlled, they're to be dignified, they're to be sober-minded and so on. They're to be reverent in their behavior. Reverent in their behavior, it carries with it the idea of acting in such a way as to honor God. 
And so a godly Christian woman's life will be marked by a holiness that is an indicator that they have a heart for God and his word and that they're responding to it. That's this idea of being reverent in behavior. Their overall deportment, how they carry themselves in life, is going to garner respect of others. And they carry themselves in such a way that that other people, particularly younger women, are going to look at their lives and be drawn to that woman. I want to be like her as I get older myself, is what the younger women are going to observe as they look at this particular older woman's life. So they are to be reverent in behavior, he says here. Be an example to others that they can look to and say, I want to be a godly woman like that myself. Now Paul goes on and he says, and they are not to be slanderers or slaves to much wine. Now we've already talked about how the Cretans were known for being liars and cheaters and and all of the like here. Well, additionally, the, the women of Crete, they would have had another reputation because it was a reputation that carried over to the general Greek culture as well. And the people of Crete were Greeks, and so the women, they were liars and cheaters because they lived on the island or prone toward it. And they were also, because they were Greek women that lived on the island, older women, they were also known to be lovers of wine. They enjoyed their wine and too much of it. And gossips as well. And so Paul addresses that in particular, that cultural norm that was taking place there in Crete that the women were naturally probably going to have to wrestle against and push back against. And that was that they would be uh, slanderers and slaves to much wine. Paul addresses them. Now, I don't know if slandering, other versions use the word gossiping. I don't know if that is a particular problem for all older women um, here, but it certainly was a problem for these women that Paul is addressing. And for every one of us, and maybe that's not your issue, but maybe it is. Maybe you are a gossip or, or given to too much wine. We'll talk about that next. But maybe you find yourself a gossip and it's gotten worse as you got older. Well, then we've learned a lesson. Maybe it is a problem that older women are dealing with. But if it is one you're dealing with, know that Paul addresses it here. The word, slandering in my version, gossiping in a lot of versions, the word means one speaking evil of or making accusations against another. I saw an alternative definition. It was a verbal assault against another with the purpose of defeating that other person. That's what gossip does. That's what slander does. It's a verbal assault against another with the purpose of defeating the other. And that is certainly not a good practice that's going to foster fellowship and growth in a body of believers. Wouldn't you agree? And again, the defeat isn't so much, I beat you down, I stomp you, and you're never going to get up again. It could just simply be slandering or gossiping against another person so that I will remain higher than the other person. You you catch me? And a lot of people do that. They want to be higher than the other person, and so they'll say what they say to other people about that person, so they drop down a level on, a rung on the ladder here. Timothy says it shouldn't be that way. Don't let that continue to happen. Speak into that. Now, when we think of the list of terrible sins that a person can commit, murder, you know, things like that, most people aren't going to put gossip on that list. Would you agree? And yet, it is a sin that can have the effect of tearing apart a group of people. 
And so one that we definitely want to be very careful with. It's interesting that the word that is used here, I'll, I'll say the word to you and you tell me what you think it sounds like. It's the word diabolos. He knows. What's that sound like? It sounds like devil, right? Or it's the Spanish word for devil here. That's the same word. You know how Satan is called the accuser of the brethren? Diabolos means accuser. And so if you have given yourself to gossip, and if you are beating other people down with your words, and you're kind of off on the side saying things about other people so that they're dropping a rung on people's ladders there of what they think of them, you are doing the work of the devil. And I don't want to do the work of the devil. I don't want to murder people either. And I, yes, murder is a really big sin, and let's not do it, all right? Can we take a pledge, all of us here? We're not going to do that here. Well, the work of the devil seems pretty significant too. And so, whereas we can look at it and say, I don't know, it's not that big a deal, it is a big deal. You remember when Satan, in the book of Job, it's the it's first chapter of the book of Job, it tells us that there was this time where uh, the angels, or, um, well, in this case, the demons as well, they were going in and out into God's presence here. Well, it tells us that Job, uh, excuse me, that Satan went into God's presence and the Lord responded, or he responded to the Lord, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But if you stretch out your hand, God, and you touch all that he has, he will curse you to your face. He was accusing Job for the purpose of getting God to say, you know what? Yeah, maybe you're right. I'm going to take away all these good things from his life, and then he'll be mad, and he'll curse me, and Job will drop a level on the ladder. You see? He's an accuser of the brethren, and he was trying to get Job to turn from God. Is that really what you're hoping to accomplish when you accuse and slander somebody else to do the work of the Lord? Or of the devil, I should say? That's the type of thing the devil does. So, if you define yourself as an older woman, and again, I, I've learned, leave that to you, determine for yourself, take inventory of your life. Is that a problem in your life? Are you a gossiper? Are you a slanderer? Has the Holy Spirit been bringing conviction about that area of your life? Well, your responsibility is to respond to that conviction. That's how we grow in godliness. Now, the second area that he said that he says, likewise, the older women are not to be slaves to much wine. Now, we have commented on other occasions, the Bible doesn't forbid the use of wine, unless you're a Nazarite in the Old Testament and you took that vow. It doesn't prevent or uh, forbid the use of wine or alcohol, but it does forbid drunkenness as something that the believer should not be involved in. There's actually, really, there's two instructions we have regarding wine or alcohol in the Bible. The first, Ephesians chapter 5, it speaks about drunkenness, which I just said. It says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled, rather, with the Holy Spirit. And so it speaks against this idea of drunkenness. And so the godly individual that's, that's desiring to walk with God is going to keep themselves from taking in so much alcohol that it's going to alter your thinking drunkenness. That's the first. Now, second thing that the Bible teaches about alcohol and wine and the like is that we are not to be a stumbling block 
to others. This is Romans 14. It says, it's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. And so that means you should take into account when you are making decisions about what it is you're going to be drinking, what kind of an impact that will have on other people that are around you. That's what that means there. Drunkenness and then this latter one here that Paul is talking about. Now, I think in this context, Paul is talking about drunkenness when he says to these women that they're not to be slaves to too much wine. Whether we're talking about gossip or we're talking about drunkenness, slaves to too much wine, they're both talking about the issue of self-control. Because I think certain things, and I want to say certain things, and I'll tell you, she's only wearing that outfit because she's trying, and I want to gossip against her, i got to control my tongue. And if I want to take in too much alcohol, whatever it might be, i got to control myself and put it down here. Controlling ourselves from saying things that don't need to be said, drinking too much of what doesn't need to be drank or drunk or drinking, I'm not sure what the proper term is, forgive me. And these were the typical manners of life for the average older Greek woman in the first century. And you can see how it can develop. Their kids were grown. There were a little bit less demands on life. They had a little more extra time. And so you begin to figure out ways, how do I want to spend my extra free time? It's a good question. How do you want to spend your extra free time? Do you want it to be running around gossiping about others, tearing other people down over way too many glasses of wine? Or do you want to spend that extra free time you have as an older woman, and do you want to spend it doing something that is helpful and honoring to God and helpful for other people? Well, I I think we all know God would have it be the latter. And so he says, older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, or slaves to much wine. That's not in our versions, but I think we can add a word here, and it's probably not good to add words to the Bible, but I think we can add a word between these next two sentences. Rather, they are to teach what is good, and so train the young women. Teach them not to be slanderers and slaves to much wine. That would be the negative admonition. That's what they're not to do. But what they are to do is teach and train the younger women in what is good. And and that is how to live a life of godliness. And so it's true that Paul taught that the women, older or younger, were not to teach in the general congregation of believers. We looked at that in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Yes, it says that, but that doesn't mean that there was not a role and there was not a venue where the women could share the wisdom and insight that they had learned through a life of walking with God in a way that would help others in their own walks with God. And this is an instance here. There's something far better these older godly women could do with their lives than sitting around drinking and gossiping about other people. They could invest into the next generation of godly women. And they could help those women navigate through the difficult years of life. The difficult years of pre-marriage. When you wonder, am I ever going to find a guy? And you're thinking about settling for just any old guy. These older women say, let me tell you, I settled for just any old guy. And you don't want to do it, you know, or whatever it might be. Or, honey, trust the Lord and wait. I did. My wife tells people this all the time. She, she waited for a good man, a godly man, and he came. You think of the early years of marriage. 
I thought our marriage was going to be perfect. I thought we would never have any difficulties. I thought we honored God. We got to this place, and there would, it would be like a Disney movie with little birds singing in the background. And it hasn't been like that. Maybe I married the wrong guy. Well, the older women can speak into the lives of the younger women and help them navigate that. And then you get toddlers, and they're thinking, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to survive. You know, I'm thinking I'm going to leave. My husband can handle all these problems, whatever it may be. And you're going to get by. You'll be okay. And the older women can speak into their lives. And it goes on and on and on to every single stage of life. You see how valuable it is to have relationships with people that aren't from the same demographic group as you? Because you can all speak into each other's lives. And when those older women, don't, they don't know how to hook up their iPhone, the younger women can come in and say, it's easy. Let me show you how, or whatever it might be. So older men, older women, you are an incredible, I say you, did you see that? I'm not in that group. Do you see what I did there? <laughs> yeah. We are, I'll say that, are an incredible resource in a local congregation of believers. But it requires two things. Number one, it requires that older men and women are indeed godly men and women. There's a valuable role that older men and women play in the church. But it has to be godly older men and women. And so take, use these words, take inventory, look at your life, let God continue to grow you in areas that perhaps you haven't yet grown. Godliness doesn't just happen as we age. It comes about as a result of a lifetime of responding to God, making daily decisions to follow God. So if that applies to you, then let the Lord do his work in you. But the second thing that the, the valuable resource of older people in a congregation play, it means that there are younger men and women that are willing to receive and learn from the example of those older men and women of the congregation as well. And so younger people in the congregation take notice of some older folks that you admire, the dignified people, so to speak. Take notice of them. Ask them if you can engage in their life. Don't be weird or whatever, but figure out a way to get around them so that you can observe them and learn from them. We have a potluck coming up in a couple of weeks there, and when those two are sitting at the table, the older couple is sitting at the table, choose that table to sit with. Learn their names, interact with them, find out about their life background or whatever it might be. Younger men and women need to take advantage of the valuable resource that is, is ours, I'll say, uh, or yours. We've been, we really have been blessed as a church, really. Well, I remember when our, first, when our church started, some, we were looking for someone to work in the nursery for like a Bible study, women's Bible study, just like Will mentioned here. And somebody suggested, well, maybe there's like a, a retired lady in the church that would want to come and hold babies. And my wife, she's, do you remember this, brother? She's, she doesn't remember anything. I just make up stories. <laughs> she, we thought through the congregation, this is back in 1997, we didn't have any retired ladies in the congregation. We were just a really young church. But now... God has blessed us, and we have folks that are older, we have folks that are younger, people in the middle, little babies, and all this kind of stuff. I feel like we've become a real church uh, in so many ways here because we have people of all these different demographics pouring into one another's lives. Don't miss on, out on that opportunity. Find somebody different from yourself, become their friend, and share life with them. And I think we'll be better for it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. So, Lord, thank you for uh, the gift of our body of believers. Lord, I thank you for the example 
that so many have, uh, have set here in this congregation of walking with you over a long period of time, trying to be in tune with your leading and your guiding, responding in obedience, Lord, setting the pattern, the example of what it means to be growing more and more healthy in faith and love and in steadfastness, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the ladies of our congregation. So many godly ladies here that love you and they want to see your name lifted up and honored. They want to be a blessing to other people. Lord, continue to create that heart in every one of us for your glory. And so we thank you for your word that speaks into every circumstance of our lives. Lord, may it bear fruit, we ask in Jesus' name.